morning. Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. This is the final sermon in our series on the letter of James, a series that we've called Spiritual Living, because even though James gives very practical instruction throughout the letter, following his instruction is not really possible unless God has raised us up and given us the desire and ability to obey. The passage we're going to look at this morning is the closing of the letter. James is signing off after giving his readers instruction on a number of things, trials and suffering, riches, the way we use our words, just to name a few. In these verses, he's going to write mostly about prayer. The way he writes about prayer, it's clear that he considers it crucial. It's clear that he believes that no matter what happens in life, every event and every state in which we find ourselves is an occasion for speaking to God and for speaking about God. Is that how we think about our lives? Do the good times and bad times and everything in between cause us to seek God in prayer? Or do I keep God at arm's length, like he's distant? Do I rely on myself, or do I bring my needs and my joys to him? Let's read James 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray once again and ask God for understanding and for willingness to submit to his will in this passage. Let's pray. Father, we need you to make this clear to us. There are things in your word that we don't understand, and especially in this passage, um, we ask that you would help us, that it would be you speaking to us this morning through your word, that your spirit would be active in our hearts to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. When my side of the family gets together to celebrate Christmas and it's time to open gifts, we always open, we always open the stocking stuffers first. And I have four sisters, and there are certain things that we all know that we can count on getting, even now that we're adults. For one thing, I know not to bother ever buying chapstick because it comes in the stocking. My car has a ton of them. My nightstand has some. Usually there's gum, a pair of socks or two, movie theater-sized box of candy, maybe a game or some nice pens. And my sisters and I used to have this really bad habit. 
where at the end of opening the stocking gifts, we'd all say, thanks, Mom. And my dad is sitting there like, thanks, Mom. (laughs) We just assumed that she was the one that had gone to the store for those little gifts. And now we're sure to thank Dad and Mom. Now, I'm not going to draw a strict analogy from that situation to the way we relate to God because I don't want to portray God as a father who feels neglect the same way that a human father might. But we often acknowledge God our Father as an afterthought. We talk to Him as a formality. How many times do we pray as a mere ritual? Maybe just before a meal. Or how often do we fail to praise God for His blessings altogether? James teaches his readers that they are to turn to God in every state of life through prayer. So we're going to examine four aspects of this passage. Earlier in the letter, James has prohibited sinful ways of speaking. And now as he closes the letter, he leaves his readers with instructions about using our words the way God intends. He talks about prayer in nearly every sentence. So here are the four aspects we'll examine. First, the call for prayer the cure of prayer, the communion in prayer, and finally, the care of prodigals. The call for prayer, the cure of prayer, the communion in prayer, and the care of prodigals. First, the call for prayer. Now, if you react to this passage anything like I do, you've noticed that there are some mystical goings-on here that we'll get to. But first, notice that just before this passage... James has written about our patience in suffering. He has been telling his readers to anchor their hope in the return of Christ, to look forward to it. These verses are about, these, these verses we're looking at this morning, they're about what we do in the meantime. We're, we're not merely looking ahead to eternity, and we're not merely being patient in the present. We call out to God. We are to pray and to praise. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James is closing his letter in a similar way to how he began, by talking about trials that we face. He told his readers earlier to count it joy when they met various kinds of trials. Trials build patience. But just because we count it joy doesn't mean we're masochists. we, We still desire an end to the trials. We don't enjoy suffering. They're painful. We don't want to stay in them. We would like to meet the trials and then say farewell. So we pray to God for endurance, for wisdom, and for deliverance from those times when we're suffering. And when we have reason to be cheerful, we sing praise. That's not the only kind of singing that we do. There's songs for other moods. But we should sing praise when we're cheerful. We should attribute it to God. And now all of us here are different. We may find that one of these comes more naturally than the other. I tend to be a real man of prayer when I'm in trouble more than when things are going well. I fail to praise God as I should when I'm cheerful. So we're called to pray. It's to be a constant marker of our lives. Now let's look at the cure of prayer. James turns to something besides suffering and cheerfulness. Now he prescribes his readers something different for when they're sick. And here's that mystical part that might be puzzling to us. 
He tells the sick person to call for the elders of the church and to have the elders pray, to intercede for him, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Anybody remember that show, Lassie? Yes? I guess there was an episode where she went and fetched the doctor when a gentleman was having a heart problem. Kind of far-fetched. Probably even harder to believe if the dog went and fetched the church elders. I doubt that many of us, upon getting sick, would call for the elders rather than the doctor's office. It seems strange, but maybe it's not that strange. So first, consider that we, we already acknowledge that there are sicknesses that require more than just recovering by ourselves. We need outside help. We need a boost. And yes, we can certainly avail ourselves of medical help. James may have in mind that the person has already received help from a physician. So he's not forbidding that in any way. Sometimes our immune system is just not enough to fix what's wrong. Second, as Christians, we acknowledge that no matter the means of healing, God rules over our suffering, even in sickness. We are right to pray, and if we get better, we are right to thank Him for the healing. And third, consider that even modern medicine recognizes that our physical health is tied to the well-being of our soul or our spirit. No matter what we call our immaterial part, we know it's important. People with broken hearts can become sick. They can even die. Scripture talks about how our physical and spiritual condition are interwoven. It's in the Proverbs that it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bone. And David writes in a psalm that he felt his body wasting away while he harbored sin in his heart, while he refused to confess. So we shouldn't neglect the physical and spiritual connection. We are spiritual and physical beings. That's the way God has made us. So in that sense, the biblical view of healing is remarkably holistic. So in light of the facts that we sometimes need help to heal and that God is ultimately in control of that healing and that our whole being sometimes needs it, maybe James' instruction is not too bizarre. Now let me clarify, it's not like all physical ailments are a matter of sin. Maybe some are due to sin. But remember that Jesus corrected his disciples when they asked if the blind man was blind due to his or his parents' sin. Jesus said he wasn't born blind because of his or his parents' sin, but rather that God's works should be displayed in his healing. So God has a purpose for our sickness, even we even when we don't know what it is. The sick man James writes about is to call for the elders to pray over him and they're to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What is the deal with that oil? Well, it's unlikely that the oil here is prescribed in a medicinal way. Being anointed with oil in the Bible was a sign of being set apart to God for his use. Kings were chosen by God and anointed. Prophets were chosen by God and anointed. The person being anointed is submitting to God's will. So it's a sign, maybe even similar to a sacrament, a way of receiving God's grace and healing. It's not the oil that accomplishes the healing. 
It's God who's responsible as he responds to the prayer of faith. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That phrase, the prayer of faith, it's not a gimmicky, special kind of prayer. Back in chapter 1, James told his readers that if they lacked wisdom, they should ask God who gives generously, but let them ask in faith. When we pray, we're not to doubt. We're not to be double-minded. We're supposed to trust in the character of God. We're supposed to have full confidence in who He is. Prayer has to consist of faith. It's not casting a spell. It's not an empty ritual. It's not a formality. It's us coming to God as His children with faith in who He is. He's the ultimate worker of the healing in this passage. The elders and the prayer and the oil, they're just means. It's God who does the raising up. And it's God who gives us forgiveness of sins. Look at the end of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, it's not that all sickness is a matter of sin in our lives. It's that our condition before God is paramount. The highest cure that God offers, the deepest cure that we need, is the ability to stand before the holy God as forgiven people. Physical healing is nothing if we aren't reconciled to God. And our estrangement from Him costs much more to heal, much more to cure than any physical sickness. It costs God His only Son, Jesus, who came to live and die in our place. He took the punishment that our sin deserves so that God is able to forgive us. The healing of the rift between God and sinners, that healing was bought with Christ's blood. It comes through repentance and faith, much like this healing that's described here. We have to recognize that James is assuming the repentance and openness of the person who is sick and of the members of the church. There's to be communion. We've seen the call for prayer and the cure of prayer. Now we'll examine communion in prayer. The elders aren't coming over to the sick member's home as if they're providing a service. He hasn't called them like you would call a plumbing crew to fix a septic tank. This is not a cold and detached visit. This is a sick sheep bleeding for the shepherds who care for him on behalf of Jesus, the great shepherd. And yes, the elders intercede before God for the sick person's sake, but they cannot confess and repent in his place. James assumes that the sick person has repented and confessed any sin he knows of. He hasn't called the elders while fighting to keep his sins secret from them. He's open. That's the relationship that God intends for his children to have one with one another. And just in case that isn't clear, James says it outright in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This passage challenges the private way we practice our faith. Repentance and confession are a regular part of the Christian's life, not just personally between me and God, but between me and you. Confession's good for the soul, it's good for your body, and it's necessary for Christ's body, the church. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
my friend Nate Burns and I, we confess to one another. We need to grow in praying for one another. We don't do that very well. But we tell each other about our sins and failings. For instance, failing to love our families the way God tells us. You and I are meant to be all up in each other's business for the sake of mutual healing. That's a blessing that Jesus has purchased with his blood for his family. And don't cut yourself off from it. Open yourself to the communion of confession and prayer with one another. Another aspect of this communion is the commonality we share with God's people all across history. Even the ones we would consider amazing giants of of faith. Verses 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. If you're in Christ, you have his righteousness. God counts you a righteous person. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Your prayers can have the same power and effectiveness as those of Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the great prophets of history, but James is saying we have the same nature that he did. This doesn't mean we'll obtain the same result. Elijah was holding the rain off as a punishment to God's people and their king for worshiping false gods. We're probably not going to be holding off rain for three and a half years with our prayers. The thing we have in common with Elijah is that our prayers are effective and they're answered according to God's will. See, we don't always get the answer we want when we pray. Because God doesn't obey our will. We submit to His. We have to keep that in mind while we process this passage. God doesn't always give us what we pray for. The physical healing doesn't always happen. His answer is subject to His purposes. Tim Keller has a good way to think about this. He describes two views of prayer. Either we pray like we're doing a transaction with God, or we pray as his children. If we think we're just transacting business with God, then we're going to get bitter when God doesn't hold up the terms of the deal we've put before him. But if we ask God for something as his father, as our father, we trust that he knows what is best. And that may include withholding what we've asked for. Parents, isn't it true that sometimes kids, for their own good, can't just get whatever they want? We trust God to do what's best for us as his children. We see when Jesus is on his way to the cross that he prays to ask his Father to take that cup of suffering from him. Yet he said, not as I will, but as you will, and he went to the cross obediently. We don't know God's purposes. We trust him to physically heal us if it's best but we trust him to forgive our sins like he promises because of Jesus' work of redemption. We get to commune with Christ and with each other. And lastly, James turns his attention to the care of prodigals, those who have wandered away from the truth. James regards this as a matter of life and death, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This wanderer 
could be any one of us. There's a stanza in the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It goes, O to grace how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are sheep who are prone to wander. Jesus is the great shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And we are to show that same care that he does for his sheep. It requires love. It requires the communion that James has described. We're supposed to be nosy. Not gossips, not busybodies, but close-knit family. We're not to let one another fall by the wayside and die. James wants us to seek not only healing, but the miracle of a transformed heart, the miracle of someone turning back to God from their sin. Do you care for the prodigals? Do you love as Jesus loves enough to ask someone in the church, hey, you haven't worshipped with us for a while. Is everything okay? Are you still following God? To seek the lost is to become like Jesus. Seeking those who have gone astray accompanies confessing our sin to one another. And all of this is part of being God's people. If someone cuts themselves off from God's people, James says their soul is in danger of death. So bring them back. Save them. You'll cover a multitude of sins from judgment. And yes, again, ultimately God is the one who brings them back and saves them and forgives their sin. But we're to participate with love. We plead and we urge and we pray. James speaks of forgiveness and salvation not as a one-time fix, but as ongoing. The fruit of spiritual living grows in our lives over time. Or we eventually show that it never really took root. I think back on my own life. Ten years ago, I was in such a spiritually dark time, I didn't want anything to do with God. I had I had, had a, a breakdown, and, and I had struggled with... Um, the belief that God could even ever love me, and eventually it just turned to bitterness. And I thank God for those who did not give up, who never ceased to seek after me. They didn't let me just go astray. They saved my soul from death. So we've seen the call for prayer, the cure, for, the cure of prayer, the communion in prayer, and the care of prodigals. And this passage, like the rest of the letter, is full of practical application. Pray. Sing praise. Call for the elders. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Bring back the wandering sinner. If you're here this morning, but you're outside the fold of God's family, if you haven't come to Jesus in faith for the forgiveness of your sin, I urge you to do that. Believe that Jesus has died and risen to purchase your forgiveness and all of these family benefits that we've seen here this morning. And if you're here as a Christian, ask yourself, are you in communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ? More than just in the worship service. Are you repenting and confessing regularly that you may be healed? Do you have a heart for those who wander away? Do you... Do you pray and praise God in all the circumstances of your life? Do you even believe in the power of prayer as it's described here? 
And then some of you may be wondering what the healing part of this passage means for us today. If you get sick, should you call for the elders? Well, perhaps you should. I'd like to leave you with a story from Dr. Daniel Doriani, who was a pastor at Mark and Leslie's home church in St. Louis, and he's now a teacher at Covenant Seminary. He recounts a time when he and his fellow elders followed this passage's instruction. And it's, it's an extended quotation, but it's very worth it. He writes, During the autumn, when I first studied James in earnest, a friend suffered a viral infection of the heart. While it was not a heart attack, it mimicked many of the symptoms of one. My friend felt listless. He looked gray and lifeless. One day at church, I told him that James 5 instructs elders to lay hands on the sick and to pray for their healing. I suggested that he call the elders for that very purpose. Two weeks later, he told me he wanted to proceed. No one in our church had done this before, so we did something very Presbyterian. We studied the matter another six weeks and hoped he didn't die in the meantime. (laughs) At last, we appointed a night for prayer and the elders gathered. Our church's pastor, I was a college professor at the time, summoned the elders. Before we prayed, he told us not to expect a dramatic visit physical healing, since God heals in many ways. I appreciated his motive, but there was no need to restrain my enthusiasm. My doubting heart was already skeptical enough. My friend knelt down in the middle of a circle of elders. We anointed him with oil, laid hands on him, and began to pray. Since I had started the process, I was appointed to offer the closing prayer. As soon as we began to pray, I had an overwhelming sense that God was, at the moment, healing my friend. My arms felt what I can only describe as bolts of fire pushing through them. As I grasped my friend's shoulder, heat and energy burned my hand. I felt that my one hand could lift all of his 230 pounds to the ceiling or push him through the floor if I wished. I knew God was healing him. I wanted to shout, we must stop praying that God will heal John and start praising God that he has healed him. But I was too astonished, too unsure of my sensations to say a word to anyone that night. For four days, I kept my experience to myself. Four days later, after church, my friend beckoned me with a wild grin. Dan, watch this. At once, he dashed up a flight of steps. I dashed after him and met him at the top. He smiled, and I'm not even breathing hard. I knew it, I exclaimed, and told him what I had felt a few nights earlier, and he told me I knew it too. Since that day, I have joined elders to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. I have never again felt the fire. And while I occasionally feel a flood of warmth and emotion, I have learned that my feelings and God's healings have no connections. A small number have experienced immediately healing from serious illness. More have recovered gradually and under the care of physicians. Many have found spiritual healing, great peace, and spiritual renewal in times of crisis and suffering, whether they recovered physically or not. And some have apparently gained no physical or spiritual benefit at all. Incredible story. We don't want to ignore this. God's revealed it to us. I know Mark has just come back from some meetings where he's heard of healings in other churches, and it's not something that we should neglect. 
I want to tell you that um, usually at the end of our service, there are elders here, at least one, to pray with you if you desire. May we be a church that confesses our sins and, and prays for one another for healing. This morning, um, I'll be down here. Um, maybe Bob will be here. I don't know. But uh, just give me a second. I have a very short uh, musical a- outro to play, but it is short this morning. If you need prayer, come be open. Come experience that communion. We never know God's purposes, how he's going to answer us. But we're to turn to him in every state of life in prayer. Don't put limits on what God is free to do. And don't feel entitled to receive what God is not obligated to do. In all of life, pray, praise, and let your obedience flow from your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing who you are. We ask that you would impress these truths upon us, that we would live in greater faith and dependence on you and in greater openness with one another as your family, as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.